Are you that weirdo whose favorite TV network is Investigation Discovery? Well, then this is the podcast for you. Welcome to Happy Hour Gets Weird. Hi, guys, and welcome back to another episode. I'm Cassie. And I'm Tiffany. And this is Happy Hour Gets Weird. We are two best friends who get together, have drinks, and talk about weird shit. Exactly. What are we drinking this week? Oh my gosh, I'm obsessed. Okay, so we are <laughs> drinking an amaretto sour. It's so at, good. Um, it's one of the bests. <laughs> uh, be- bests. Um, I'm going to, I think I, if we're ever able to go out to a bar again, I think I'm going to order this. But well, I, I think you have to do it out of town because I, I think we jazzed ours up so much. I was just going to say, I think I've set, set my own standards higher than I could probably get unless it was a very fancy bar yeah. or a good bar just in general, not a yes. dive bar, which I'm used to hanging out as like dive bars where there's like peanuts on the floor. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and like the draft beer is a little bit warmer than it should be. <laughs> but this is, it's a classic recipe for an amaretto sour but we added an egg white which we haven't done yet no we haven't done an egg white cocktail we keep talking about it and Mm -hmm. then we would get distracted by another cocktail we wanted to drink so yeah and I was finally did it we did and I was a little bit nervous um but it's fantastic it's like it hits all the points it's like foamy and rich and sour but sweet and bold it's it's really delicious so we recommend it our pictures for that and recipe will be on our social media per usual instagram happy hour gets weird pod um we always post our pictures and our recipe every week yes so if you're interested look for that it is delicious and it's easy it is easy super easy and if you have had an amaretto sour at a bar this is i mean at like a you know kind of a typical amaretto sour at a bar Mm -hmm. It is probably nothing like the drink that we made today. This one, I would have to say, not to toot our own horn, but to toot our own horn, it's a little elevated. 10 out of 10. Yes. So before we get into our episode today, um, we kind of mentioned this last week, we have a sort of an announcement. We teamed up with a few other like-minded podcasts um, to create sort of a network co-op community yeah situation yeah it's very exciting for us it's called all the people network there's a website where Mm -hmm. you can check everybody out a little bit about it so the group on all the people network offer a variety of different shows Mm -hmm. we're all indie podcasters obviously Mm -hmm. Uh, we offer news history gaming culture culture Mm -hmm. paranormal true crime from that's us that's us yeah we're kind of like the uh Maybe the pink ladies of this podcast network. I think so. <laughs> pink ladies if they were like into aliens and ghosts. Yes. I feel that way. Yeah. So the shows that are part of the network are Culture Quest, Controller Disconnected, All the People You Should Know, Off the Record, and Assorted Goods and Ourselves. Happy Hour Gets Weird. Happy Hour Gets Weird. So check out those podcasts. Um, we will have a link to the website in our link tree on Instagram if you want to check them out. And this whole network idea was sort of the brainchild of the host of the podcast, All the People You Should Know. He has a fantastic history podcast, and we are going to play a promo for you now. Hey, this is Josh with All the People You Should Know. 
Wait until you hear what critics are saying about this amazing history podcast. Well, critics haven't said anything about it yet, but that doesn't mean you shouldn't give it a try. Each week, I rummage through human history to bring you the most important and interesting people you've probably never heard of. Check us out. Generally, released on Monday. Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or any of the other places that you get your audio. Thanks. And we're back. If you like history or if you don't like history, we suggest you check out all the people because what I like about it is Josh highlights people that you wouldn't know, hence Mm -hmm. the name, Mm -hmm. and um, people that have been overlooked in history for various reasons. So it's interesting. And I always learn something every time, which I personally appreciate. I totally agree. I learn something new every time and it is a very well done podcast. Yes, it is. And Josh has one of those infectious laughs. Yes, it's it's a great it's a great show. Yeah, and Cassie actually lent her vocal skills mm-hmm. to the <laughs> podcast as well. Yeah, I just I did a voiceover for Josh a oh, while back. Yeah, it was excellent on episode sixteen, I mean, The I'm, Devil and Mister O. If you want to <laughs> check it out, yeah. If anything, just go check your girl out. I mean. I'm not winning any Emmys or anything. Uh, you 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 won a daytime Emmy for that. I it did? came to my house. Nobody even told I me. I have all of your mail forwarded here first. <laughs> my bad. That's quite all right. You get a lot of uh, packages from Adam and Eve. <laughs> I've kept them all. Um. Okay. I will go first this week, and we didn't even actually say, well, I'm sure you know by the title, but we are talking about two missing persons cases. Yes. Um, I will go first. I'll start with my sources. I wa- the, the first place I heard about this was a show on ID Channel, and it's called, the show's called Still a Mystery, and this case is from season one, episode one. So I basically used this source and um, a couple other sources at the end of the show that I'll mention. Um, That's it. Basically on this um, episode that I watched, it was um, the the producers of the show just interviewed her mom and two of her sisters. And when I say her, I'm talking about Brooklyn Farthing, um, just about what happened and who she was as a person and basically the timeline of her disappearing. So I'm going to take you back to Brea, Kentucky, 2013. Brooklyn Farthing, known as Brooke by her friends and family, her mom described Brooke as a fun, sweet country girl. She liked fishing and four-wheeling, but also liked dressing in pink and doing her hair and makeup. Shelby, her mom, said she was the best of both worlds. 18-year-old Brooke, the middle sister in a close-knit family, was considered the glue that kept them together. Brooke graduated high school in early June of 2013, and she talked about going to cosmetology school, but she told her parents that she wanted to take a month off over the summer to kind of figure everything out, which I can so relate to. Yeah. (laughs) Let me take 15 years off to figure it out. (laughs) Still figuring it out. Yes. (laughs) Friday, June 21st, Brooke and her sister Paige both took driving tests, 
Brooke passed. She was so happy and Paige did not pass hers, but Brooke was still happy. (laughs) Um, And Paige was happy for Brooke too. After taking their driving test, Brooke and Paige went to visit their ailing papa. Brooke was happy. She had a driver's license. It was the beginning of the summertime. She had graduated high school. She had a lot to look forward to. Her mom, Shelby, said it was an extremely happy time in her life. To kick off the summer, kids, and I say that loosely because they were more young adults. Mm -hmm. Some weren't 21, some it was 18 to 21. Um, At the end of the school year or the beginning of the summer um, in Berea, they had what they called a field party. Okay. Which you and I grew up in small towns. We know what a field party is, but it's basically like a bonfire mm-hmm. in the middle of a field or an orchard in our case, my case. Yeah. Um, yeah. Orchard. There was a bunch of trucks with their tailgates down. Um, you know, music from the trucks was playing. Some people probably had guitars there. I imagine, you know, drinking some people drinking beer, some dancing, some just hanging out. So if you grew up in a small town, you know exactly what we're talking about. Yeah. Like a rural small town. Mm -hmm. After visiting her papa, Brooke, Paige, and their cousin went back to the cousin's house to get ready before the field party. Brooke packed an overnight bag because she was going to stay the night with a friend who was also going to the same party. By all accounts, Brooke was having a great time dancing, talking to everyone. And her sister and her cousin left pretty soon after they dropped Brooke off. Um, They just weren't feeling it I guess it didn't this show didn't say why they left they just maybe had somewhere else to go they left Brooke there knowing that she was going to go home with her friend who was already there then the friend that Brooke was supposed to go home with decided to leave the party with a boy instead this caused an argument between the friend and Brooke and the friend ended up leaving Brooke at the party without a ride so this point, according to Brooke's family, she wasn't terribly worried because she was having a good time. It was a small town. She figured she could probably find a ride from somebody. Yeah. She continued to have a good time and didn't really think about a ride until she noticed a classmate who was incredibly toxicated. intoxicated. He couldn't drive himself. He couldn't barely walk um so it was when she saw him at this point she began to look for a ride for both of them to make sure that they both got home safely so Brooke found a ride for the two of them from an older man at the party and she kind of knew him her recent ex-boyfriend Jared was friends with him so it was like um an acquaintance mm-hmm. um and she kind of knew him in some way she had been around him before So Brooke's sister said that she wouldn't have gotten a ride from someone she didn't feel comfortable with. So even though her and Jared had just ended their three-year relationship, they were still in contact with each other um, via text. So they kind of were in communication as far as texting goes. Mm -hmm. Jared wasn't at the party that night because he was working in graveyard shift at a factory. So this older guy who wasn't named anywhere that I could find... So I'm just going to call him the older guy. Okay. Um, just so that's who you know who I'm talking about, the older guy. Mm-hmm. Um, he was okay with giving them a ride. He offered, 
them a ride. Did it say like the age frame or like his age? No, but the sister said that he was a much older. So okay. Brooke was 18. So that could mean 24, 25, 25, 50. 50. Like we don't know. Yeah. Okay. Um, I'm going to assume, and this is just an assumption. I'm going to, I, yeah, I was, I was going to assume about a 10, within a 10 year range. Mm-hmm. Cause we all knew those guys. Yes, exactly. Mm-hmm. That is why I thought it was with ten years because within ten years because we do all know those guys who oh, yeah. don't move on from high school or young high school parties for a very specific reason. Yeah, yeah, that's exactly what I thought. So he gave them a ride, and the classmate he dropped off first. Mm-hmm. Then he took Brooke. Back to his house, which was on the outskirts of town. And um, Brooke's sisters described it as a secluded area, cul-de-sac, on the edge of town with about eight or so houses. It, it was a neighborhood-ish, like mm-hmm. as far as like country neighborhoods are concerned. It was a small town. So even on the edge of town, there was somebody that Brooke knew who lived right across the street from his house. Mm-hmm. Her Sunday school teacher lived right across the street. So yeah. so it was like, it wasn't so unfamiliar to instantly like, whoa, 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 whoa. Because she was, you know, it's a small town, you know. Mm-hmm. You know. Yeah. I mean, looking at it, I already, like watching the show, I was already getting like a... Anxiety. Yes. Like mm-hmm. this is not good. It's Um, so hard. Young people, especially growing up in a small town, young people are very trusting of the people that they're around. Yeah. And I myself have been in a position, have put myself in a position where I was with a group of people that were friends of friends Mm -hmm. that I didn't really know. And it could have gone terribly wrong. Terribly wrong. Yeah. We, the small town that I grew up in is the same thing. There was Mm -hmm. a million different things that we did that I was like, looking back on my younger self, you kind of... Put on your parental, you know. Like, oh, you miss a close one. Yeah. That was a close call. It's like when you look back You're on lucky. yourself, it's almost like it's an, it's, it's, somebody it's, a, else. it's somebody else. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So Jared's friend, this older guy, and Jared is her ex-boyfriend who's working mm-hmm. at the time. So Jared's friend, this older guy, was going through a divorce at the time, and his house was actually in foreclosure, and there was no electricity or running water. As soon as she gets there, she calls her sister and tells her sister, Paige, I feel uncomfortable and I want to come home. Can you come get me? Her sister said that her cousin, who they're with, was too intoxicated to drive at the time. And her sister, remember, didn't pass her license test earlier that day, so she couldn't come get her. But... Paige at that time was like, hey, do you want me to find someone to come get you? And Brooke said, no, it's fine. I think I'm going to get Jared to come get me. So at 4 a.m. after she talked to her sister, Brooke texts Jared and said, can you come pick me up now? Question mark. Jared responded, I'll be done at 6 or 6.30 a.m. Will you be okay until then? Then Brooke responded, yeah, that's fine. Then Jared responded, are you okay? Question mark. And Brooke responded, I'm fine. I've been drinking, but sobered up. 
So at this point, it's just after four. She had been drinking. She had sobered up. And she was basically just waiting to go home. She wanted to go home. She went on to text like the guy who had driven her there was passed out in the other room. And she was like sitting on a couch smoking a cigarette waiting for 6 or 6.30 to come around so Jared could come get her. Mm-hmm. So at 4.26 a.m., Brooke texts Jared, can you hurry? Question mark, question mark. Then she texts him again, please hurry, dot, dot, dot. Then she texts him again, I'm scared, period. So because the text between them closer to 4 a.m. led him to think that she was okay, he went back to work and didn't check his phone. When he did check his phone, he sees a text from 426 that say, can you hurry? Question mark. Please hurry. I'm scared at 426. And then he also sees the follow-up text at 530 that said, never mind, exclamation, I'm okay. Followed with, I'm going to a party in Rockcastle County. So there was an hour between 4.26 and 5.30 a.m. So at 5.30 a.m., she supposedly sent a text saying that she was going to a party? Yes, 20 miles away at 5.30 in the morning. So he so he gets off work. He thinks that everything's okay. He doesn't go to the house, which I'm not blaming him at all. He thought... No, it's not his fault. I didn't want that to sound accusatory because I'm not accusing him of anything. Um, so he just got, no, I'm not accusing him of anything either. I'm just as an adult, a full fledged adult, like he, he was a young person to him. It probably didn't seem suspicious, Yeah. but I'm just saying to me as a full fledged adult with children, with children, I would have, and a life of experience behind me going to a party at five 30 in the morning, 20 minutes away. Yeah. Of all of the parties and get togethers I've ever been to in my life. None of them ever started at 530 in the morning. Yes. So it isn't until 9 a.m. the next day, the 22nd, July 22nd, when Brooke doesn't show up for plans with a friend, people start to get worried. Her friend called Brooke and called her sister, Paige, and asked about Brooke because he um, couldn't get a hold of her and she didn't show up to the car show that they were supposed to meet at. At first, her sisters weren't too worried. Remember... Brooke told Paige, her sister, that she was going to get a ride from Jared. So Paige was thinking, oh, you know, her phone probably died. She's probably Mm -hmm. sleeping. She's going to wake up and charge it and then call us like anytime. Yeah. So her, her family was assuming she was with Jared. Yes. So it wasn't until her sisters started to get a little suspicious and called Jared and found out that he didn't actually pick her up after all. And then it just like shit kind of broke loose from there. So Jared showed them the text and they knew immediately something was off. That's so terrifying. Yeah, it really is. Firstly, they they realized, okay, she said she was scared. And then all of a sudden everything's fine. Yeah. That doesn't seem right. You know, maybe it's not even, like I said before, I'm looking at this through the lens of an adult. Maybe it's just women's intuition also. Because the sister immediately picked up on this Mm -hmm. and he didn't. And that's not, I'm not saying that's not his fault. No. He was a young kid basically himself. But I'm just saying maybe it's just women's intuition that you notice these 
red flags? Well, because you've probably been in a situation where you've felt uncomfortable as a woman before. Yeah. And you know what that feeling is and you know what it looks like in text messages because you probably sent your own text messages like that before. Yeah. Like, oh, hey, can you come get me? I don't like the vibe here. Yeah. You know? Um, No, her, I think her boyfriend was just really honestly thought that she was fine. So the second thing they noticed was Rockcastle County was 20 minutes away. Nobody knew about the party. Nobody heard Brooke talk about going to the party earlier in the night. And they also thought it was strange for her to go to a party that where she didn't know anybody 20 minutes away at 530 in the morning. Yeah. She had no vehicle. She had no one to pick her up and no one basically knew where she was except for Jared and her sister. At that point, they were like, this is very suspicious. So Tasha, her other sister, called the man who took Brooke to his house, the older man. And it's also too important that this call happened sometime after 9 a.m. Because she was supposed to be at the car show at 9 a.m., And they probably waited an hour or so Mm -hmm. for her to like maybe wake up and charge her phone. Mm -hmm. So this call happens sometime after 9 a.m. So remember that. Okay. He answered the phone and he said he had no idea where Brooke went. He says he left the house to tend to his horses. And when he came back, Brooke was gone. But then 15 minutes later, the older man calls Tasha back and says, quote, ma'am, I'm really scared. Quote, I don't know if Brooke did it or not, but when I came back from tending the horses, the house was on fire. What the fuck? Yeah. So they're like, uh, what? Why didn't you mention this in the first call that we just had? Yeah. Why would you not mention that? Oh, by the way, I forgot the small fact that my house was on fire. Yeah. So... Upon further investigation, the family finds out that the older man, he called firefighters at 7 a.m. So he acted like the fire happened after 9, but it had actually been out two hours. He had no, yeah, he had known for two hours that his, that his house was on fire. So when the first call came in from Brooke's sister, he should have, I would have said if it was me, Oh my gosh, you need to get over here. There's a fire. There was a fire. Brooke, I don't know where she is. You should come over here and call the police. So at this point, um, oh, and did I mention that what was on fire in the house? The couch. The couch was on fire. The family rushed over or the, excuse me, the firefighters rushed over. They extinguished the fire and the couch was completely destroyed at that point. It was just the wire and the metal frame. Hmm. There was nothing left other than that. So Brooke family is now on high alert, obviously. They go over to the older man's house, which at this point the police are treating as a crime scene. So they have since reported to the police that Brooke is missing. They give um, him, they give the police the last address and then the police you know, put two and two together and realize that there was a fire at that address. So they're like, what is going on here? So when the family gets there, they find Brooke's overnight bag that she packed. They find her cowboy boots. Everything she had had the night before, the only thing that wasn't there was her cell phone. 
So the family starts asking like, okay, she went to a party 20 minutes away with no vehicle and no shoes on. Why didn't she put her shoes on? Uh, The man says the last time he saw her, she was sitting on his couch smoking a cigarette. Interestingly, the only thing that caught fire in the house was the couch. Nothing else was burned. Nothing. And that's the last place that she was seen. I personally find that very suspicious. Uh, Yeah. I mean, it seems blatantly obvious that he was destroying evidence. Yeah. So the police immediately began searching the surrounding area. They, um, it just sucks because the surrounded area where this house was, was 16,000 acres of heavily wooded forest with ponds, lakes, cliffs, sinkholes. It had fucking sinkholes everywhere. Like huge sinkholes. So many places that something could be yeah. hidden. Yeah. They searched on horseback. They had cadaver dogs. They had divers for the lake and the ponds that surrounded the house. They had um, tons of volunteers. But the rugged terrain made the search incredibly difficult. And after thousands of miles searched, they came up with nothing. Police tried to locate, then tried to locate Brooke by pinging her phone, but eventually the phone went dead and they were ultimately unsuccessful. They put, um, they did pull her cell phone records and they found hundreds of calls and texts had come in after the morning that she disappeared after that, you know, like 530 Mm -hmm. AM. Um, but nothing outgoing. Nothing outgoing after that last text that said she was going to the Rockcastle County party. Jared was questioned. He had an airtight alibi. The man who owned the house where she was last seen was questioned, along with everybody that was at the party that night. She went missing, and um, police have never named a suspect. So, now being a small town, you probably... Uh, know this I know this um, rumors started almost immediately mm-hmm. people suspect that Brooks disappearance might be connected to other unsolved missing persons cases in the Heartland area there is about a dozen women who have disappeared from the Heartland that fit her physical description or have similar physical descriptions um, but there's no there was absolutely no evidence that she was connected or the fact that any of those were connected with one another. Paige and Tasha say their biggest fear is Brooke um, is being held against her will somewhere or was sold into um, sex trafficking. Uh, But Paige also thinks that it was unlikely that she took off walking without her shoes and was picked up by a stranger. Mm -hmm. Um, they feel that whatever happened that night, it happened between the 426 I'm scared text and the last text about going to the party at 530. They actually don't believe that the last text was even sent by Brooke. I don't either. I, I don't either. Investigators have never found in, any information there was even a party in Rockcastle County. Brooke's family, again, said that she didn't know anyone from that area. And to them, it just doesn't make sense. 
Um, in fact, she told her sister that Jared was going to pick one of the last things that she said on the phone to her sister was Jared was going to pick her up and bring her home. Please leave the door unlocked. So to me, that tells me that she had every intention of going home that night. She just wanted to go home. So the man who owned the house, the older man, um, says the last time he saw Brooke, she was smoking a cigarette on her couch and he suggested that she might've fallen asleep while smoking and inadvertently caught the couch on fire. And then ran, then ran off. I guess whatever kind of BS story that he came up with. Um, I mean, I don't want to, I guess since it, we don't say his name, it doesn't matter, but it seems blatantly obvious that he was involved in her disappearance. Right. Yeah. In my opinion, he seems very suspicious. Yeah. Um, and for him just to say like, oh, she maybe fell asleep, uh, smoking and set the whole couch on fire and, and then, then ran, just disappeared so conveniently. Yeah. Yeah. After she had text multiple people, text her ex-boyfriend saying that she was scared and told her sister in her own words over the phone that she was uncomfortable. What other, uh, I mean, what other thing would she have been scared about besides him? What else would she have been referring to besides him? I can't. There was nothing mentioned in the show. So um, he maint- he has maintained his story that he had nothing to do with Brooke's disappearance. And that was the last time that he saw her. Brooke's family does not buy it. Shelby, Brooke's mom, said, quote, I'm not happy with this story. I don't believe his story. Tasha, Brooke's sister, believes the couch was purposely ignited to destroy evidence of a crime. Yeah, that's, I mean, it's like so obvious. It's very frustrating. Yeah, it is frustrating. And that's why um, when I saw this, I was like, okay, we have to talk about this case because it's so frustrating. Um, Furthermore, the man who owns the house, the older man, worked for a county road maintenance department in that county and Brooks family believes that if anyone knew where to hide a body in the rough wooded terrain surrounding the town it would be him um but yet he still continues to maintain his innocence and there's no evidence and there's no evidence the police have said that they um have no evidence or don't have enough evidence to formally charge somebody how can you how can you have evidence when it was lit on fire yeah exactly so last month was exactly seven years since brooke vanished Um, her family is still searching for answers they miss her every day they just want to know what happened to brooke Um, shelby brooke's mom was oh my god it was heartbreaking was pleading on the show she said quote please have mercy on us let us know where she's at I just want my baby back so the family has offered a $14,000 reward for information leading to the return of Brooklyn or the capture and conviction of those who are responsible for her disappearance they maintain a Facebook page called missing Brooklyn farthing they also maintain a website, findbrookfarthing.com. 
Um, and if you have any information on the disappearance of Brooke Farthing, please go to the website. It has a number to call. It has information about the reward. It has, um, Brooke's story of what happened to her that night, um, on the website. And you can also go to the Facebook page. It has all the information for you to leave, um, who to contact if you have a tip or if you have any information. So, it's important that if you know something or you know someone who could possibly know something, we need to talk about these cases that are getting older by the day and um, get the word out there and maybe like garner some tips. So that is the disappearance of Brooke Farthing. And, you know, I can't, I cannot imagine what her family is going through. It was heartbreaking to watch her mom on that show. So, and her sisters, she was loved and she was a good person. Yeah, that's awful. Yeah. So today I'm going to talk about the disappearance of Karen Marie Mitchell. My sources are latimes.com, lostcoastoutpost.com, the Guardian, doughnetwork.org, and Wikipedia. On November 25th, 1997, Karen Mitchell was 16 years old. It was five days before her birthday. She was living in Eureka, Humboldt County, California, with her aunt and uncle, Annie and Bill Casper. When she was 13, she moved in with them, a decision agreed on by her mother and herself. Karen's mom was a single mom. She had her, she had a, an older son, and Karen when she was really young. Um, her mom worked a lot. And in a tragic bit of irony, she believed Karen would be in a safer place living with her aunt and uncle. Okay. I mean, I can understand that. Yeah. It, it makes sense. Uh, Annie and Bill Casper had a nice home, sort of a little bit outside of town, mm-hmm. a big yard. They had a couple of older kids that were on their way out for college so they had room they had time and and they yeah like you said they had time to probably um you said her mom worked a lot so Mm -hmm. it's probably it was it was probably the best thing for her at the time her mom yeah was making a good decision yeah a selfless decision yes exactly exactly the words karen was a kind smart and well-loved girl She planned on graduating from high school early and was looking at college pamphlets, planning on going to Humboldt State. She had always been interested in nature. She owned a worm farm as a kid, composted, and as she got older, she thought that she might end up going into environmental studies in college. Oh, so she was cool. Yeah. Like anyone who has a worm farm is just cool in my book. Yeah. She she sounded like somebody that we would have been friends with. She wasn't too worried about clothes or makeup, and her favorite bands were R.E.M. and Smashing Pumpkins. Quote, she was her own person, very vivacious, very strong, very smart. She was an A student. She was opinionated, but she had an agenda, and she wanted to help change the world, said her Aunt Annie. When Karen settled in with her aunt and uncle, it was a pretty seamless transition by Mm -hmm. all accounts. Mm -hmm. She soon found a group of friends nature lovers like herself Mm -hmm. and was happy to go to high school in Eureka. So Karen, I think that she liked Eureka because Mm -hmm. it's, um, 
she found people like-minded people like herself. Like I said, she was into nature. She was into these kinds of, she was a hippie outdoorsy, hipsy, hip, hippie type things. Yeah. 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 Like a little nineties grunge, mm-hmm. a little hippie aesthetic. Right. Yeah. And her family, um, her mom and her brother lived in orange County area, I believe. Okay. So I think that she really enjoyed the, the move. Yeah. Yeah. I'm sure she fit into Eureka. Yeah, totally. In the best way. Yeah. You know, on the day of Karen's disappearance, she had spoken with a few family members on the phone. A school project had required her to connect with them. She spoke with her mother that day. They talked about plans to be together for Christmas. And this was the last time she spoke with her mother, Mary. On the day of her disappearance, Karen left her aunt's store in the Bayshore Mall in Eureka to walk the less than one mile stretch to her own job at Humboldt Child Care Council. It was a sunny, nice day out, even though it was November, and three-fourths of a mile is not far. Her aunt had asked if she wanted a ride, but Karen declined. So she walked north on a street that locals referred to as Broadway, which is also a stretch of the U.S. 101 that runs through town. Okay. That makes me nervous. A stretch of highway. Yeah. That runs through the whole state. Yeah. Has probably a lot of different travelers. When her aunt Annie went to pick her up after work, she discovered Karen never showed up. Oh my God. Okay. Annie was immediately worried. She knew that Karen was afraid of the dark Mm -hmm. and that she wouldn't wander off all night alone. Yeah. A massive search began for Karen. Law enforcement, family, friends, and community members all searched for her. Local police, as well as the FBI, fielded calls that came in to the Eureka Inn, where they set up the Karen Mitchell Information Center. Leads poured in about people seeing her at different places. Some people thought that they had seen her at um, on trails. Somebody said that they thought that they saw her in Grass Valley, somewhere swimming. That's random, but there are a lot of um, swimming holes around the Grass Valley area. Forks of the, you know, Yuba. Yeah. It was just kind of how it always is with that sort of thing. Mm -hmm. Just a lot of leads, basically, that ended up being unsubstantiated or found out to be completely false. Right. It's so frustrating. It is frustrating. I think people obviously have the best intentions when Mm -hmm. they make these calls. Of course. It's just a lot of information to sift through that doesn't end up going anywhere, right? Yeah. After a few weeks, the calls lessened, time passed, and Karen Mitchell was never found. But there have been theories, and I'm going to kind of get into the theories. So I found uh, this on a couple of different sites, especially on the Doe Network. Uh, they, they talked about this um, sighting. A few, there, I think that there were three total people claimed that they saw Karen getting into a car. Okay. Although all of their stories kind of differed slightly, which is common to happen, right? Mm-hmm. So locals in the community claimed that they saw Karen getting into an older sedan. The vehicle was described as being light blue, late 70s, a Ford Granada, or Mercury Monarch. It had California plates. And driving it was an older white male who had a big nose and who wore glasses. Uh, like I said, this information is on the Doe Network. They also have a um, artist rendition of the man. Oh, okay. 
the detective that was originally involved in the search for Karen, his last name was Paris, Mm -hmm. he looked at over 1,200 vehicles that matched this description. And the lead ended up going nowhere. In 1998, this detective, Paris, believed that there was a break in the case, although it would be a break of the worst kind. A trucker by the name of Wayne Adam Ford came into the Humboldt County Sheriff's Department and confessed to killing four women. With him, he carried the severed breast of a victim. What the fuck? His victims were sex workers and hitchhikers. Detectives at first believed they discovered the horrible fate of Karen. Mm Mm-hmm. But Ford denied having any involvement in the disappearance and evidence was never t- found to show that the two were connected. Ford took a polygraph about Karen's disappearance, which he also passed. Mm-hmm. And after he was arrested, Karen's own mother even went to the prison to confront Ford. Mm-hmm. He acted as if he wasn't sure if he had anything to do with the disappearance, but that was Ford's pathetic attempt of getting a pen pal, basically. He just wanted somebody to write to him in prison. Yeah, so he was a disgusting piece of shit. Okay. Yeah. Uh, Ford has never been definitively tied to the disappearance, and he was sentenced to death, and I believe he is still awaiting his execution in San Quentin. Okay. And as far as I know, a lot of detectives were trying to tie him to different unsolved Mm -hmm. murders, disappearances, etc., but... Mm -hmm. uh, I believe he was only charged in the four that he originally confessed to. Okay. So another high-profile murderer, Robert Durst, as in the jinx, Mm -hmm. has some questioning whether he may be involved in the disappearance. Durst had a home in Trinidad during the time of Karen's disappearance. And Trinidad to Eureka is about 25 miles. Okay. So he was definitely capable, and there is a possibility that he was in the area. Yeah. So I found on Reddit, a Redditor claimed that he had been in the Ant's Shoe Store more than once, Mm -hmm. but I didn't see that in any of the articles that I read. Okay. So I'm not sure if they... So take that. Yeah, I'm not sure where that information came from, but this is an older case, so there might have been older articles that I missed, right? Yeah, yeah. Durst was also considered in the disappearance of another teenage girl, Kristen Modafferi, who disappeared in San Francisco in 1997. No evidence has actually linked Durst, no physical evidence has Mm -hmm. actually linked Durst to the cases except for his vicinity. And like I said, Durst may have been in the shop before. And law enforcement has neither denied or confirmed that Durst is even a person of interest. I mean, after that HBO show came out, I think that Durst is a suspicious person. Yeah, yeah. Paris, the detective Paris, has said he doesn't believe Durst is in connection to the case. Okay. It's just another loose end, making the case even more frustrating and heartbreaking. Reading the comments online, locals have their own theories, but they are just that. Yeah. No new evidence has has been brought forward. She basically just disappeared walking down a main road in town in the middle of the day. Yeah. Every year, Karen Mitchell's family honors her on November 25th, as well as on her birthday, November 30th. On the 20th anniversary of her disappearance, Karen Mitchell's family planted a tree in her honor along a hiking trail. That's so beautiful. I will post 
the contact information for the Eureka Police Department, Humboldt County DA's office, etc. Okay. On all of our social media. So if you have any information in the disappearance of Karen Mitchell, please reach out. Please contact law enforcement. Yeah. It's never too late. No. Especially not for these families. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Well, that was um, our episode on a missing on two missing women. If you have any information, like we both said, please, please reach out to the resources that we're going to post on our social media or uh, that we say in this episode because, you know, you never know what little clue or little information might, you know, break a case wide open. It's so frustrating because in both cases, there's there's basically no evidence. Yeah. There can't really be any evidence except for somebody seeing something mm-hmm. in my case. Yeah. Because she was just walking yeah down a road yeah so we'll make sure that we link the doe network another great resource is charlie project yes um these are kind of things that if we all just are educated and know what to look for or who to look for then maybe we can help yeah yeah um thank you so much for listening and we will be back with a new episode next week And on that note, love yourself, lock your doors, and light some sage. Cheers to that. Cheers to that. Cheers to that.